welcome to the Marcelin Business Network podcast, celebrating the Marcelin College business connection, sharing ideas and inspiring others. This episode was recorded on the 23rd of September, 2019. Melbourne, bursting at the seams. This episode of the Marcelin Business Network is brought to you by Donellan's The Timing. Don't slip, grip with Donellan's The Timing. Hi, I'm Maureen Hegarty from the Marcelin Business Network. In today's episode, we'll hear a conversation Chris Marabella and I recorded with Marcelin Old Collegian Andrew O'Connell about the Melbourne commercial property market. Enjoy. Well, Andrew, thank you for giving us your time. Who's, who is Cushman and Wakefield? Well, that's a good question. Um, Cushman and Wakefield are one of the three largest global real estate firms in the world, US-based, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, 51,000 employees globally, about 2,000 in Australia, and 500 in Melbourne, across 70 countries. Wow. How long has the company been in Australia? Under its current guise, only three or four years. So as an, as an agency business, I came on board from one of our competitors just under three years ago to help them build their agency business in Australia. So from an agency standpoint, not long, but we've got other facets of our business. We've got a global occupier services business. So for example, we manage all of Aussie Post's properties, BHP's properties, NAB banks, a uh, couple of big petrol companies, a lot of government bodies, Treasury Wine Estates. So yeah, we do a lot of their property lease negotiations, facilities management, things like that. What tipped them over the line to wanting to get into the Australian market? Uh, well, it's, it's a mature, stable market from an Asia-Pacific standpoint. It's probably the most mature market in Asia-Pacific. So, you know, most of the big firms that set up 50, 60 years ago that came in from Europe and America, the first place they came to when they left their, their native countries was to Australia. Oh, that's interesting. So has it, um, your presence in here, has it sort of, well, sort of disrupted the market, but has it sort of shaken up a little bit as a competitor? Yeah, it certainly has because there was the big two, which was JLL on CBRE, and I'm, I'm formerly JLL for 18 years. That's Jones Lang. What uh, yeah, are you talking about? Yeah. yeah, and they're, they're also both listed on the New York Stock Exchange as well. Just to give you an idea, I think CBRE's cap value for their business globally is $14 billion, and I think ours and JLL's are about 8 and we sort of sit equal second. So there were sort of like two big ones, and then there was a lot of other agencies. Now there's like a third big one that's come to the party, and it's like it's disrupted yeah, the, the, the global market. When we think of property, it's just, it's just you have to excuse me, this is a layman's term, I always think of selling and buying and selling property, but it's obviously more than that in the commercial market. What are the other revenue streams? Oh, there's uh, valuations, there's asset management, uh, there's facilities management, there's uh, tenant representation, there's the there's global services business, and then, and then you talk about selling and leasing, but there's industrial sales and leasing, there's commercial sales and leasing retail sales and leasing and, and there's specialists in all those fields. Yeah. What's your role in the business? So I head up our industrial team in Victoria, which is eight strong, and look after anything to do with industrial sales and leasing, whether it's land, warehouses, manufacturing facilities, uh, you name it. What's if the difference between industrial and commercial? So commercial is purely office and that can be suburban offices or that can be CBD offices or St Kilda Road or you know, and even sort of new areas like there's huge office concentration in Camberwell, Box Hill, a little bit in Dandenong. 
and now they're even in recent years out at Williams Landing uh, on the way down to Geelong they've set up a huge precinct out there which is largely government supported and I want to be government tenants out there um, but it's to sort of break break that barrier between Geelong and Melbourne and sort of a point of a point of difference. You've given us a bit of a clue as to some of the clients the firm deals with but your yep. team who are some of the big anchor clients you've got? Oh, so we can deal with a lot of huge corporate companies uh, from both nationally and overseas. So to give you an idea, a lot of the automotive companies, so you know, your Ford, your GMHs, then there's companies that most people would, would never have heard of, but for example, there's a company called Unicharm, which are the largest manufacturer and distributor of nappies around the world. They're a Japanese company and we put them into 11,500 square metres of warehouse down in Brayside. Uh, there's food companies, there's all sorts of service companies that uh, you wouldn't even get a true appreciation. A lot of big transport companies like DHL, Toll, um, we do a lot of work for all of them. As I said, it's, it's very different. Every day is different. So the processes are all the same, but the people you deal with are different every day. Well, if you're someone who's leading up a team of eight in such a large organisation, Andrew, I've got to ask you, what, yeah. is, it, what is it the thing that you have um, in your professional uh, CV, if you like, um, that has got you to this point? Knowledge and experience are probably the two biggest keys, but also an enthusiasm and a passion and Real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, can be pretty cutthroat. Everyone's there to make a dollar, and if, you, if you're not making money, then you won't be in it for long. So it's that ability to grow and foster teamwork and build teams, and you have to sort of give of yourself and, and, and sort of sacrifice some potential income for yourself to grow the team and grow the business, and that's an area that you know I've always been strong in, so I'm, I'm not necessarily the greediest bloke going around, and I do well at building teams. So what you're saying is you've got to, you've got to um, it's a long-term strategy basically is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, how did you get into property once you left Marsland? It'll come up later that I did the careers evening at Marsland and I was pretty brutally honest with uh, everyone that attended. It's fair to say that I wasn't the smartest student going around when it came to uh, year 12 and it took me a little bit, bit of time to mature. I uh, just scraped through year 12, passed but just scraped through. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, my older brother Mark had been working in com uh, in residential real estate and had just gone into commercial real estate. And the first place he had a job was in Carlton and he asked me if he wanted me to ring his old boss to see if there was a vacancy, which he did. And uh, yeah, about a month after that I started. What was your some knowledge of, what, of, of property what, other than what your brother had told you? Zero. <laughs> so picture an 18 year old kid going into Carlton and uh, being a residential property manager, dealing with doctors, lawyers, farmers, students, immigrants, and having no exposure to that in his life as an 18 year old in a pretty sheltered eastern suburbs lifestyle. It's fair to say that I grew up pretty fast. I bet you did. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a tale as old as time though, isn't it, yeah. Andrew, that you, know, you do your time in any industry, you know, whether you wash, if you, you know, if you hotel manager at some stage washed lots of dishes yeah. and you did the same, yeah. did you um, have to, or did you ever uh, look for a professional qualification? I did all of that. So I uh, decided early that I'd, you know, I've chosen this as a, as a career and I thought, well, I'll go and get a, a real estate licence. So I studied four years part-time, which is an associate diploma course. 
today it's a bit easier to get. You can you can do it in one year over a couple of nights a week, but at the time it was 30 odd subjects that had valuations backgrounds and business backgrounds and things like that. In the true uh, scholastic fashion of me at the time, I uh, my first two subjects of the real estate course I failed and I was furious with myself and vowed never to fail another subject again, which I didn't after that. So having to repeat that six months was frustrating as hell, but I, I got through it, finished that, became a licensed real estate agent, then decided that uh, I had a careers advisor at Marsland. She suggested that I was not made for uh, academia and suggested I should get a trade, which rubbed me up the wrong way. I promptly uh, left my one and only post results uh, discussion with the careers advisor and said that she said come back in a couple of weeks we'll have a further chat I said no I don't think I will I said I wish you all the best and I'm out so I decided I'd go my own way when in uh, after doing the real estate license decided I'd do a business degree so I went to RMIT University and um, did a six-year part-time course so I went all up I spent 10 years of part-time study whilst working full-time and uh, and graduated in uh, 2000 so uh, with a business degree and, and a lot of personal satisfaction behind that. Did the business degree make a lot of difference to my employment prospects? Not overly, but I'm a bit of a stubborn bugger like that and I wanted to prove a point and sort of prove that I could, you know, have a degree. So I went and did it and got it and yeah. So, and it, it probably hasn't hurt being on the resume when you're going to lead teams and work in big businesses. I think they like to see people that have, that have gone on and been educated. And, yeah. And I think they also like the fact that somebody that's, you know, worked 55, 60, 65 hour weeks and has managed to go to, you know, night school for 10 years for anywhere from four to 10 hours a week on top of that. They see has a fair commitment to, to not just themselves, but to what they do. And I think it makes a bit of a difference as well. Yeah, that's a good story. Did you, um, you got your license. When, when did you start getting into commercial after Carlton? So yes, yeah, so I, I so the job straight after the job in Carlton. So I spent just under four years in Thompson Real Estate in Carlton. I was still playing football, and it's fair to say that residential real estate was um, interfering with my football, and I didn't want to work weekends. So commercial real estate, you only work Monday to Friday, no real weekend work, and I wanted to keep playing football. So I thought I'll have a crack at commercial real estate. Very good. And what, what was, was, was your brother any good to you at that stage or was you take, you got another uh, tough so, so my brother had moved into development by that stage. I uh, applied for a job out in uh, the leafy sunny suburbs of Mitcham. Um, and it's fair to say that Mitcham was everything Carlton wasn't without sounding snobbish. So Mitcham was a little bit backward, dealt with a lot of local businesses, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And again, it, it was another steep learning curve, which was terrific. I could talk to you about this progress forever, Andrew, but I want to talk to you a little bit more, come back to topic of the day yep. about commercial property. Yep. Um, how much is commercial property a sort of bellwether for the Australian economy? So the whole property industry, and I'm probably biased when I say this, but it actually does drive the economy. So, and that's residential, commercial. We're one of the few countries in the world where it's actually a dream to own your own your own property. It's, it, we, it's called the Australian dream. It's the best way to build wealth for your later years in life. Just an interesting stat that 98% of the world's wealth has come through property investment. And you look at some of the richest people in the world, current US president, Warren Buffett, you know, these are guys that have 
you know, with billions and billions of dollars and have made it out of property. Melbourne's undergoing a rapid change demographically, population-wise. How's that affecting what you're doing and what's, what's the trends at the moment? Yeah, well, it's, it's actually affecting it in a lot more ways than you think. So, first of all, two-thirds of the population live in the southeast of Melbourne, but we're sort of bounded by, out to the east, we're bounded by the Dandenong Ranges. And then as you go further out in the southeast, you're bounded by you know the cost of infrastructure and to continue to grow infrastructure like roads, rail, sewerage, power, and keep pushing it out. It puts a strain on the grid to do that. So you'll see that there's been a huge push towards sort of medium density to higher density housing in the last 10, 15 years. So those middle and inner rings of, are going through a transformation, something even like uh, when I was at uni back in 2000, the population, the residential population in Melbourne CBD was zero. Today it's sitting at about 25,000 and it's probably going to double again in the next five to 10 years. What we are going to see is there's going to be a flip. So they're talking about our population doubling in size by 2051 and there's really not the scope for that to continue to grow in the east and southeast. So what we're going to see is we're going to see a huge explosion in the north and the west of Melbourne. For example, Dandenong in the southeast is 35 k's out of Melbourne. Within 15 k's of Melbourne in the west and the north, you've got paddocks. So all that area is going to be rezoned commercially, residentially. You'll have heard things like Caroline Springs and, as I said, Williams Landing. These are all areas that are growing. Tarnit, Truganina. They're all, they're all going through massive growth phases. So there's going to be a substantial growth right across the Victorian market. In the last two or three years alone, in my area of expertise, land values have doubled, if not tripled, in the last 12, 18 months. In specific areas or in Melbourne generally? Um, across Melbourne in general. So there is a huge shortage of industrial land zoned. There's 26,000 hectares of zoned industrial land. 21,000's already been developed, which means we've got five left. There's another six that is in planning to be rezoned. Well, if four and a half million people have used 21,000 hectares, and we're gonna double in the next 15 years, and there's only gonna be 11,000 available, do the math. We don't have the land to support the growth. So things have to change. They're gonna rezone more, they're gonna have to find more, they're gonna push industrial zones further out. So you'll find that the land will be cheaper 50 to 100 kilometres, which means the freeway network and the rail network has to be upgraded to support the industrial being further out and getting to the port back in Melbourne. Well, I hope you're enjoying the conversation that we had with Andrew last year. I just want to take a moment to thank our key supporter of the Marsland community, Denellan's The Tyreman. The Denellan family has over 60 years of experience in tyres, and they've got stores in Blackburn, Borwin, Collingwood, Preston and Perrain. They've got a huge range of tyres and wheels and their prices are Melbourne's best. They really are the experts when it comes to tyres and wheels and brakes and suspension, wheel alignment and vehicle servicing. And their reputation, the automotive industry is exceptional. And if you're looking for a particular wheel or tyre, there's a good chance they'll have it in stock. And for whatever reason, if they don't, they'll track it down for you on the spot. Whether it's here in Australia or overseas, they'll make sure you have it in no time. It's all part of their commitment to serving you at the highest level. Don't slip, grip with Denellan's The Tyman. We thank Mark and Paul and their team for their wonderful support of the Marsland community. Now, back to Andrew. Do you think that the government's getting its strategy right with some of this, you know, with this infrastructure, with roads and rail happening? They're getting some of it right, they're getting some of it wrong. And I don't want 
want to turn this into a political uh, a political situation, but the east-west link should never not have been torn up. It needs to be done. The north-east link um, will be done, which has a direct impact on the school. As a matter of fact, you'll have seen correspondence coming out from Mark Murphy relating to how it's going to impact the school and how it's going to impact the area and things like that. And as a father of a year 11 student, I'm pleased to say that by the time that he finishes, it won't be affecting him, but it'll affect future generations that attend the school. You've only got to play cricket uh, on a Saturday on number two and stand out there cricketing and you hear the screech of brakes and the crash of cars pretty much every Saturday and that's as a direct result of people trying to avoid tolls and, and cutting across Melbourne. So instead of going onto Eastlink or going onto the Monash Freeway or the Tullamarine Freeway, they cut through Greensborough, come through Boleyn and hook up onto the Eastern Freeway. And I know Michael contested, or Michael, Chris and myself can all be testament to the fact that we've seen many of end on end bump fender bender uh, at the front of Marcelin on a Saturday afternoon. I thought you were, I thought there was those bender fenders, fender benders, whatever you call them, because they're watching you come in to bowl. Oh, well, left arm, well, that left arm dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah that left arm super, super slow. <laughs> Money flying in from overseas for Melbourne? Billions. Billions. And Mo it's coming from where? Uh, mostly Asia, so through Singapore, Hong Kong, China. China's probably the biggest part, but there's a lot of huge Singaporean funds that just are looking for a home. And then you've also got US, North America, so Canada and Europe. So Australia is very attractive, it's safe, secure, so our borders are secure, which is great. No major threats of war. You haven't got people crossing borders to come in and look for work and things like that. So we're pretty fortunate. So what you're saying is you're not going anywhere in this role yet, Andrew, by the sounds of it. No plans to. <laughs> you talk about the South East, are there any areas of Melbourne that you think are undervalued? There's pockets that go through sort of fits and spurts in, in, in the South East. I, I think the Eastern suburbs are a little bit undervalued because they don't have the same road infrastructure that the South East has. So you look at the likes of sort of Bayswater, Kilsyth, Montrose. Was, yeah, there's a lot of industrial land out there mm. that probably don't get the same rates per square metre as, say, land in the southeast. So I think there's probably an undervalue in the, in the east. And at the moment, the western and north is probably 30% cheaper than the southeast. So I think that, it, you know, as the western north continues to grow, we'll see that. We'll see that catch up. How do you invest, if, you, if you're a mum and dad investor and you've you look at the equities market, you've yeah. got the property market, the residential property market. How do you invest in commercial property? Is it through trusts and funds? Is that how you... No, you can, you, can, you can directly invest. So, for example, we're sitting in Mount Waverley. We're in a street where there's a lot of small properties ranging from, say, a couple of hundred metres up to a couple of thousand metres. A couple of hundred metre property here might be worth $500,000 and we sell properties from 500000 to $500 million. So you can approach me and say, I want to invest... 500,000, a million, two million, five million, ten million. There is, it's frightening how much money there's out there, both privately and and corporately. So an investment, you would say, I mean, obviously you need an anchor tenant in a building, yep. and what are, are some of the other conditions so, that go into that property being so, a good investment? So just to give you a, a little bit of a flavour, so people talk about buying residential property and having a couple of rental properties as, as investments. So a real return on a residential investment might be two and a half, three percent on, 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 on your investment. Now, when you take into account that more often than not, you're looking for a tenant probably every 12 months, two years, 
you can't recoup any of the outgoings from the tenant, you're paying those yourself. So when you actually break it all down, you're actually not even getting a 3% return on your money, you're getting more like one and a half, two 2%. By contrast, you know, you could buy an investment property, an industrial investment for say a million dollars, that would be returning somewhere in the order of 60 to 70,000 bucks a year. So you're getting a six to 7% return on your dough. More often than not, your tenants are with you for three, five, seven, 10, 15 years. The maintenance is very low. You're recouping all the outgoings from the tenant. So it's a real return. So you've got money sitting in a term deposit, getting a one and a half, two percent residential property that you might be getting capital growth with, but you're not getting any rental growth. And then you've got on the flip side, you can go and buy an industrial property or a commercial property with much better returns, tenants that are financial, better payers, look after your buildings better. It's a bit of a no-brainer. Oh, it's interesting. It's something I'm sure I'm, I'm sure savvy people are all over it, but yeah. uh, oh, it's good. What's your favourite building in Melbourne CBD? 101 Collins Street. Oh, okay then. Why yeah. is that particularly appealing? Um, it, well, it's, it's probably the premier business address in Melbourne, so it's at the Paris end of Collins Street, mm. as they refer to it, and it probably commands the highest rent of any business building in the, in the CBD. That's interesting. Just on that, if you worked in Docklands, are you really in the CBD? These days, yes. Probably five or ten years ago you would have said no, but you, you've seen a lot of the, uh, like the, all the banks have gone down to, the, down to Docklands, KPMG have got a huge office there. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people moving to Docklands now. But 101 still, and yeah. that end of town is yeah. still. Yeah, that, that sort of north. Oh, wouldn't even, it's not even the northern end. It's southeastern end of the CBD. John has just gone into a serviced office in 333 Collins. Yeah. Um, up there um, in a little shoebox. Well, that, well, that, used to, that used to be. A, that, that's WeWork, I think, are in there. Uh, Victory or somebody. Yeah, we we, well, I, look, we yeah. I think we did that deal with. We worked to put them in there and then they subleased it out Correct, for people. Yeah. So that's the old bank building, yeah. which, as an aside, was where my mum had her first job Seriously? as a bank teller. Was it Commonwealth Bank or something? It was. Yeah. It was. It was. I think it was called the Commercial Bank of yeah. Australia at the time. Yeah. So Commonwealth then became Commonwealth. But uh, she went. She was only in there last year with one of my sisters, and they've done a terrific job in in um, keeping the the heritage of that building in place. Yeah, it is a bit like yeah. walking into a European building. Great coffee shop on the ground floor too. A very good Stros coffee shop. I was in there, we were in there the other day, weren't we? Mike? Rosie, was it Tro Rosie? Yeah. Uh, Strozzi. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Best hot chocolate in Melbourne. How many deals have you done over hot chocolate? Hot chocolate. Oh, oh, well, you're a tea man. Coffee, teas. I don't drink coffee, but lots of tea, lots of hot chocolates, lots of beer, lots of wine. Yep, <laughs> lots. <laughs> Uh, the director's cut will be coming out next year, uh, Andrew, so we'll come, come back and revisit his interview so later on. What's your least favourite Melbourne building? There probably really isn't one. A lot of the older buildings have been, there used to be two really ugly buildings on the old Fed Square site, and they've gone, so they were pretty ugly. Most of the CBD office buildings are still in pretty good shape. I love the fact that we've kept things like the old exhibition buildings that are in good stead, Parliament House, so we're, we're still managing to keep you know, our history, which is really important. You know, when you said, what's my favourite building, I wanted to say the MCG, but... <laughs> is that a building? Yeah, well, it's well, sort it's of. Did you, sort I, went, of. I went to both games at the weekend. I was, I was stoked because being a Carlton supporter, there's nothing better than Collingwood oh, getting done. We were there with me, Mike. Did you go? I didn't, but I watched it and oh, I cheered mate. and I sang. Mate, and 
we went loved there, every moment. We went in there as neutrals, and then as I spoke to my brother who didn't come, he said, that anti-Collingwood thing just clicks in, doesn't it, Chris? Oh, yeah. yeah, so, <laughs> anyway. I couldn't have been happier. And I'm happy for you to put that actually, that can be the, that can be the lead. Of, of the whole story, <laughs> not about Andrew O'Connell and commercial real estate. Andrew O'Connell celebrates Collingwood getting done. <laughs> I'll quote you on that, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, you talked about Fed Square and the horrible gas and fuel buildings that used to be oh, there. Oh yeah. The thing that replaced it. Um, it seems to me it's been a point of contention with Apple wanting to go in there. Yeah. Um, what's your view on public space and commercial space coexisting? Oh, well, it's super, super important. And if you look at some of the great cities of the world, like New York and London and Paris, they've all got, you know, tremendous sort of parks and open space and public space, you know, within the city and on the outskirts of the city. We've been pretty fortunate with Melbourne. We've got some, some terrific parks as well. Fid Square's actually, um, I don't see it as an eyesore. Would I have minded if Apple was there? No, I wouldn't have, because I think it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that would just enhance that area and that location compared to what was there it's a stark improvement from my point of view and then we've got things like the botanic gardens and then we've got the way the city was designed just outside the cbd there's actually a ring of there's a green wedge circling the city and then there's that sort of mid suburbs in those sort of around that sort of queue and ivanhoe and all that area and then you'll find there's another wedge just beyond that again and then there's the next lot of suburbs and a wedge so they've always been very conscious of making sure there's plenty of open space parklands um, so we're pretty fortunate that way yeah but I suppose it wouldn't take much for us the, you know a, a, a government and we're, we're faced with these challenges now you look at Box Hill yep Box Hills um, I live in Box Hill so I'm so do very I. topical so on the same train line Camberwell doesn't seem to be sharing any of that burden and yet it's closer to the city and it's obviously there's been very public resentment about any development of the Campbell market and yeah. it's all very cute and everything else, but not it's not the world's greatest market but um, people like it but Box Hill on the other hand it seems to be um, and Doncaster that's so, the, so, so that's local local council uh, drive a lot of that and then you've got strong residence groups so Campbell are very anti they don't want to lose the heritage of the area they want to maintain sort of the the, the age of the homes they, they don't like seeing uh, you'll, you'll have heard like there's a company, Save Our Suburbs, that went right through Canterbury and Camberwell and basically we're against any sort of change or development to any home. So Box Hill's a little bit different, sort of evolved post-World War II. Brick veneer, weatherboard, three bedroom, working class, don't have the same cultural significance as some of the homes in Camberwell. So there's huge development uh, going on through that area, both residentially and, and the other thing too is the Asian influence throughout Box Hill has been substantial, mm -hmm. um, particularly the Chinese influence. And I think I read somewhere only in the last week or two that that shopping centre in Box Hill is actually the best performing retail shopping centre in Australia. Seriously? Yeah. Better than Chadston, better than Ringwood, better than Westfield Doncaster. Doncaster. Apparently the, the, the money that's rolling through that through the Chinese community is enormous. Wow. Extraordinary. Now, speaking of Camberwell, yes, you went to Camberwell, Bullman. I did. Uh, well, uh, Bull, Camberwell yeah, and Bullman, I did. I, beg your pardon. I did. Um, we, we, but we share that in common. Yep. And um, it's hard to believe that that land was sold when it was sold. And that's another. I've, I've never got yeah. to the bottom of that, Andrew. I've yeah. asked a few questions about that. But you're a Marcelin boy, obviously, through and through, and you've done the old boys thing and all that sort of stuff. Uh, earlier this year, Maureen, who's just sitting opposite us, yes. um, organised a wonderful mentor. Um, evening and you were one of the stars of that night. What was that experience like? It was actually, it was it was very rewarding. I enjoyed it and I was asked to present warts and all 
of how I got into real estate and built my career. It obviously had some impact because uh, about a week after I finished, a young fella rang me up and asked if he could do work experience with me. He came on, a young um, year 10 fella came on and did a week with me about a month or two after that, that day. He enjoyed it. But it, you know, it was great. Uh, it's a great initiative. Uh, I would encourage anybody that gets asked to participate to do so and you'll get as much out of it as what you give. So it's, uh, it was a ter- terrific evening. What was your um, main message that you gave the kids that night? Yeah, again, the school probably won't like this in print, but I'm happy to give it. At the time, we had an Anderson school, and I think it's now an ATAR. The score you get does not depict who you are and where you'll get to in life. So if you have a passion for something and you're prepared to work hard for it, irrespective of what score you'll get, you'll find a way to get there. That's great advice, Andrew. Look, thank you so much for giving us your time. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this will have loved taking that on board. Um, Unlike the, I'm sure that, um, there might be some other Year 10 kids that would like to ring you, but if mum and dad want to get in touch with you, just come through the foundation office to yeah, talk absolutely. about investment and yeah, all sure. sort of stuff. Yeah. You're based, we're sitting out here in Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley. So, yeah, yeah, I work between two offices. We've got a CBD office on the corner of Burke and Elizabeth in the Galleria building which is the old Combank building. Yes. And then we've got a smaller satellite office out here in Mount Waverley. As I work in industrial in the southeast, I need to be closer to my market. So I spend a couple of days in the city and three days in Mount Waverley pretty much every week. Andrew O'Connell, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks, Chris, Michael, Moore. <laughs>